0: The sentimental person thinks things will last, the romantic person has desperate confidence that they won't. F. Scott Fitzgerald. Welcome to episode 43 of the Turn Right Podcast. I'm Caitlin, your host. In today's episode, we are going to be talking about five tips to helping you write a strong romance. Now, I'm not the most avid fan of romance. I do like it occasionally. I'm a sucker for a good Nicholas Sparks story. But I really love romance showing up in other genres, such as sci-fi dystopia, a historical fiction retelling, um, I love a little bit of romance in Chiclet, um, and even in literary fiction. With that being said, I think there are really a couple things that separate good romance from kind of corny and cheesy and overdone romance. So I've isolated those five things in this episode. Number one. Dialogue. Dialogue is really important in writing romance. If you have robust dialogue that reveals character, you're going to have a good romance. So much of romance is character development, the interaction between two characters, and the dialogue can often sound cheesy if you're not careful. So there's a couple ways to make sure your dialogue isn't cheesy. One is just to think of how you actually talk in real life. You don't generally overuse people's names in real life. You don't generally make these big, crazy, flamboyant statements. I mean, some people do, but that's more of the exception rather than the rule. Oftentimes in real life, you use, you use expressions like if someone asks you, how are you doing? You say, live in the dream, but that doesn't really mean that you're living your dream. You're just kind of living the normal, everyday corporate life. If you know someone well, chances are you're going to be sarcastic with them. You're going to tell them how you really feel. You're not going to say, oh, good, how are you? You're going to actually unload about your day. So make sure those things are captured within the dialogue. Don't overdo the taglines. Don't overdo the he scolded, she screeched, she lost her mind, they went at it again. You can just say said, asked wandered. Realistic dialogue is essential if you don't want to write a cheesy romance. Kind of going along with that, make sure the characters aren't too cheesy and overdone. And I think in, Relay- in Renee Carlino's book, Before We Were Strangers, the protagonist Grace was a really good example of more of a sarcastic character. She wasn't overtly sarcastic, but I don't think she was a typical heroine of a romance. She kind of had a chip on her shoulder. She was a little bit insecure. She kind of was like, ooh, romance. And I think that made her a good character. She was believable. So a good, strong, smart alec character is essential to writing a realistic romance. Number two, include more than one romantic conflict. Because romance is once again character driven, it can get a little bit slow. A way to combat that is to make sure your protagonist has the feels for more than one person. Yes, a love triangle is a trope, but it's a trope for good reason. I actually really enjoy a love triangle trope. I think that it always raises the stakes, it makes things personal. And when things are personal and more than one character have an intense stake in the plot, that instantly evokes empathy and intrigue from your reader. Whereas if the protagonist is having these casual, not fulfilling or not serious flings with other random characters, we won't take that seriously and I think this is one of the reasons why I didn't really care for 28 summers by Ellen Hildebrand and that's because the protagonist Mallory was infatuated with Jake and she never had serious interest in some of the other guys that she dated and that was very apparent so the stakes weren't good because Mallory was head over heels wrapped around Jake but we knew there was never really a chance of them actually getting together, so it kind of made the story lag. Whereas in stories like Twilight or The Hunger Games, the authors really utilized the love triangle, and you know, one second we were rooting for Team Edward, one second we were rooting for Team Jacob, and the same thing with Gale and Peeta. At times, Katniss seemed very much interested in Gale, but Overall, you know, she and PETA prevailed as lovers. So that always adds an interesting element to things and helps spice up your plot. Number three, no erotica. I do not want to read explicit scenes that would be found in erotic fiction. I'm reading romance. I want the PG 13 version. That may not be how everyone feels, but that's definitely a preference I have. That's why I like authors like Nicholas Sparks. He doesn't really push the boundaries. He utilizes some fade to black. And it's just sometimes not necessary to have all of those details. Let the reader's imagination start churning. One issue I had with Before We Were Strangers, I felt uncomfortable at some of the lines. It was a little bit too descriptive. I really did not care how the sex was. I wanted the plot in the characters more. This also allows you to appeal to a wider range of readers because if your story is too explicit, then, you know, you're not going to be appealing to that younger audience. Number four, don't be afraid to change perspectives or switch up the scenery. Now, I'm a sucker for a deep point of view from one perspective, but I think romance is a genre where multiple perspectives really works especially if you're just doing two or three perspectives, like the love triangle perspective, if you will. That can allow us to get close to uh, different characters in different ways, and it really can raise the stakes because we know what the other character is thinking on a very intimate level. And Before We Were Strangers, I liked how the author gave us both Matt and Grace's perspective. And I really do think... It works best in a first-person perspective for each of the characters also don't be afraid to make the character go off and explore new lands that was a problem I had with 28 summers uh, the main character Mallory just lived on Nantucket and she didn't ever go off the island she never went into the city she never went anywhere else and I think that really limited her as a character and didn't allow her to have much character transformation I think romance can get boring whenever it's just all about the steamy scenes, the he-doesn't-love-me-back scenes, and the character needs to grow on his own alongside of the romance, and this will enhance your theme if your character is growing and transforming throughout the story, and one way to show that transformation is to show how the character takes on new lands. Donna Tartt in The Goldfinch really utilizes this technique when she has... Uh, Theo start with his apartment with his mom, then he goes to the Park Avenue apartment in a wealthier part of New York City, he moves to Vegas, he moves back home to New York City, so he's constantly moving and transforming and that's not a romance but I think that's a good example of how an author can utilize the scenery, the setting to really show that character transformation. Also, I'm sorry if you guys can hear the thunder. It looks like a big storm is headed our way today. Finally, number five, don't overuse similes, metaphors, and comparisons. Not everything has to have an eloquent line. It's fine just to kind of have a few filler sentences, just get to the meat of the story, Again, if you have too much description and the sun is shining in your eyes and the sky turned an orange shade of cinnamon, you know, that can kind of decrease the quality of your work and make things sound a little bit too try hard, a little bit too corny, um, I think a well-thought-out metaphor is fantastic, but if you can't think of something that hasn't already been said, just keep it simple and focus on the character and the plot. And now we're going to move along to Indie Author Avenue, where we highlight a different indie author in every single one of our episodes. Today's story is Keeper of the East Bluff Light by Kevin Parham. This book is $4.99 on Kindle and you can buy it on Amazon. Captain Sam Biggs operates a fishing trawler near Cape Cod in 1918 but when a mishap occurs at sea Sam becomes disabled and his career as a fisherman ends. Unemployed and desperate he takes a job as the lightkeeper at the East Bluff Lighthouse. Decades later a storm causes a shipwreck and Sam is blamed for the accident. The Coast Guard upgrades the lighthouse from oil lamps to electric light and violent crime suddenly begins terrifying everyone the east bluff police department is overwhelmed and enlists max lancome a highly skilled fbi special agent to stop the heinous acts every lead he follows is a dead end until he meets jason whose unique connection to the lighthouse could be the key to everything max believes he has his man but does he is the prime suspect really committing such awful crimes Can Max solve this, stop the violence, and end a bewildering goose game chase before it's too late? And once again, that's Keeper of the East Bluff Light. I will link it in the show notes. Thank you guys for listening to today's episode. As always, keep writing, keep reading, and keep querying, and I'll talk to you on our next road trip.